Trigger warning, this podcast contains a brief discussion about suicide and suicidality, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. Hello Venters, welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I am your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a very special guest. We have an atta and chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. This is another very surreal moment for the Just Checking In podcast, guys, because in this week's episode, I'm checking in with one of the most famous trans men on the planet. He's also a trailblazer in the trans community and has been since he transitioned in 1992 when he was 28 years old. Buck Angel is a commentator, advocate and adult filmmaker who has been discussing his transition journey openly for many years. He's affectionately known within the community as Trampa and has spoken out on the conflict going on within the trans community between transsexuals like himself and those who identify as transgender. In this episode we discuss how and why he transitioned, why he believes that transitioning saved his life but also why for him in his words he hates the day-to-day experience of being transsexual itself. We discuss why gatekeeping is safekeeping, why he finds people asking him for his pronouns insulting, and some of the hot topics in the conversation around trans right now. This includes children with gender dysphoria and how they should be treated, and what happens when these topics spill out into the mainstream. Just having this conversation with someone I massively admire and have listened and watched so many interviews with him was very surreal, guys, and I'm, again, so hugely grateful to Buck for giving up his time to speak to me when he gets many, many, many more bigger opportunities in the media than mine. So this is how my conversation with the great Buck Angel went. It is a very surreal moment for the Just Check In pod, but Buck Angel, thank you so much for coming on and letting me check in with you. How are you? How are you getting on over in America? Oh gosh, what a question. (laughs) The whole world is falling apart. I'm good. Just kidding. (laughs) I mean, I live in LA. That's its own monster at this moment. I I can't imagine there's any city in the world that's, you know, the best place to live. Mm. Honestly, I'm fine compared to what's going on in the world and everybody's struggling. I I feel very blessed on many levels. So I'm I'm good, really. Excellent. That's good to hear. And uh, I completely agree. As I even asked that question, I felt a bit like, oh, God, what question to actually even ask at this time of, time <laughs> yeah. of recording? It's, but... <laughs> it's the same question when you say, hey, how are you? It's like you can't really yeah. ask that question anymore. <laughs> no one can say they're fine at the moment. It's like COVID in the first wave. All I said was surviving to everyone. I'm surviving, surviving. It's real. <laughs> I've watched and listened to so many of your interviews, Buck, and I always learn something new on every interview that you do with other people. So I'm hoping that I do for this one. Are you ready to start the show? Oh, yes, sir. I am. Thank you so much. I want to start the pod by talking about your mental health journey, Buck. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Can you take me back to early life, teenagers, family, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you had looking back 
Now, I'll use your former name once here, if that's okay with you. So who was the Laura we meet at this point? Oh, gosh, that even makes me feel very emotional. It's like I'm 59. Mm. And that was such a long time ago, but I still feel it. So in me, you know, the struggle. Here's what I really want to say is that I didn't have a bad childhood. Contrary to I think what a lot of people think about trans people and the narrative we hear today. I had a pretty awesome childhood. I mean, my parents were super chill about me being little buck, you know what I mean? And, And I think that's just because the parents think that you're going to grow out of it on some level. But really, I would say the problem started around 16 and 17 when Laura stopped being called Buck, you know, stopped being called the boy name and started being called the girl name. And really the things started happening like puberty and and the things that kind of put you in a different headspace. Prior to that, I didn't have the characteristics of, of a female or, you know, I could pass as Buck on some level. And so the turmoil did happen at 16 and 17, which is late for puberty. And, you know, me in a tailspin and that was god i was 16 years old and that was in the 70s okay so think about that and my parents really struggled with me i got very angry i stopped participating in life i just got shut down i found alcohol i started to become a cutter and i attempted suicide so when i attempted suicide i got put into a psychiatric hospital and from there there was no talk about trans there was not even no talk about gay there was only what's wrong with this kid yeah i mean there there was Mm. just none of that And so I was just scared to even talk about the way I felt because I got shut down a lot when I said, well, I feel like a man. And that was just not a conversation to be had. Mm. So eventually I got let out of that psychiatric hospital and they put me on antidepressants and I saw an actual psychiatrist. I did not see a psychologist. I did not see a therapist. I saw a psychiatrist. And as we probably move through this conversation, there are differences in those spaces. And so the psychiatrist put me on antidepressants and it just shut me down. It did not do good for me. I did not do well in that space. And it really wasn't until many years later that I found an actual therapist. And so that really took me into a different headspace of being able to discuss my own space. But for many years, I, in my early adult space is where I really the most struggled with my own identity or who I was. I said in the intro, Buck, that you transitioned in the 90s, which is almost 28 years ago. And it was a completely different world, like you said, not just for trans people, but for gay people. George Michael, God rest his soul, was still a figure of massive ridicule in this country and I'm sure in other countries simply for being a gay icon. So how and why did you come to the decision that transition was the right choice for you? Mm, Great question. For lack of a better space to say, it it was life-saving. All I could ever think about was killing myself. It was sort of a mantra that I had, which is like, if it doesn't work out, I'll kill myself. And, you know, if you think about that, wow, I think it's such a profound part of my story. It was like a safety blanket. You know, I had this blanket that said, I'll just kill myself as if it's a normal way of thinking when it's actually really bad way to think. But it was the only kind of security I had. And so with that, it was like, I just knew somehow I had to become a man. I had no idea. There was no internet. There was no therapy that pushed me into that space. There was no discussion about it. There was only discussion about me being a very masculine woman and that I probably was a gay woman and that I needed to accept these things. And I did for a while try to accept all those things, but clearly I was not that person, but I didn't have the space to discuss it. And it was very difficult to find a therapist who on some level said, okay, I see you as a man, you know, and I eventually did find a gay woman therapist who really did acknowledge that 20, you know, eight years ago, which is pretty profound if if you think about it. But, you know, one thing I just want everyone to hear here is that I did a ton of mental health care. I did not do what we do today. And I think because of my struggle, I do have a very grounded 
way of being. And I do believe that it is why I'm here and not struggling anymore and really mm. very solid in my choice of transitioning. You've said on a few interviews that you've done in the past, Buck, that when you had gender reassignment surgery, your doctor said you were going to be his guinea pig, in quotation marks. Did that scare you hearing that for the first time? <laughs> you know, thinking back on it, no, on some level, it didn't scare me because, like I said before, I have this mantra, if it doesn't work out, I'll kill myself, right? So that's that's a whole nother level, being called a guinea pig. <laughs> it's like, I'll take that. So for me, I didn't look at it as that in any way shape or form i looked at it as an opportunity if that makes sense i didn't look at it like oh i'm an experiment and no i looked at it like whoa he's actually going to do this for me so it didn't make it feel dangerous to me or it didn't make it feel like it was the bad choice to do it felt for some reason mm. like it was the right choice to do you've also said in other interviews that you never wanted bottom surgery which mm. is almost like a casualization as a term i think now but which actually means for trans men a phalloplasty or a cosmetic penis constructed so why did you decide against that yeah, I mean, for many reasons. So on some level, I always did want a penis. I mean, that, that's something we're just taught in the world that men have penises and women have vaginas. So for me to have a full sex change, which what we called at the time, the sex change, I, I was going to need to have a penis because there's no way I could walk the world as a man with a vagina. That's just weird and not appropriate. And I just would never feel whole. But that being said, I did as much research as I could. And I think the internet was just starting to come into play. And there were forums for trans guys that were like on AOL, like deep down and you could find <laughs> pictures. Like it was so crazy. You know, there was a Yahoo group called Tran FTM, Yahoo International, I think it was. And you could actually start to see some photographs of people's bottom surgery. Now, before I move on, I just want to put a little disclaimer here. And again, this is my story. It is in no way, shape or form against bottom surgery. I am not against it. I'm against it for myself. And so sometimes people mix my words up and think I'm against that surgery. I am not. Everyone should be able to make that choice. But again, going back, this is my story. And so I just didn't see what I wanted to see. The types of surgeries I saw were again, 20 something years ago. So they were really just very not where I wanted to be. And there was like, you know, scar tissue and blood blah, blah, and all these things. And then everything I did, I didn't see a functioning penis. All I saw was the external part, right? And I didn't see something that is like your penis, that is an actual real biological. So it was a very hard decision. And I just said to myself, that's just not something I want to take a chance on. And I chose mm. not to do that, which today, mm. looking back, my God, yay, I feel so happy. <laughs> but like back in the day, I was kind of depressed about it. When we spoke off air, you used this analogy of buying a used car when it comes to deciding to transition. Can you elaborate on that for the listeners? Right. Uh, thank you for doing your, your research on me. No, I do it all the time. And I say it to the kids, I'm like, look, you guys, transitioning is really sort of like buying a car. If you're not doing this thing when you buy a car, then you're not buying a car, right? The first thing you should always look at is the engine <laughs> because the engine is the thing that moves the car. I don't care about the paint, the tires, all that's groovy and awesome. But so my analogy is always like you are like a car and on some level you're like a used car in order to move to the next level and to fix your car up you've got to go to a mechanic and i really equates you know psychologists or therapists or, or whatever the 
that mental health space is as an, a mechanic. And the mechanic is going to fine tune your space. And then once that's done, we can start to move forward on the paint, which is hormones, right? The surgery, which is new tires, new interior. And then as those things, because now your engine is so solid that everything else is just, you know, the aftermath of that and gets you moving. So, and, and a lot of kids understand when I say that, because I, you know, as you know me probably or not, I'm really advocate for mental health care is the number one thing. And the reason I am here today, because I believe in mental health care and it's the only way to move forward. If you're not taking care of this and you're only taking care of this, I don't care how much you make yourself look a certain way. This is going to conk out on you. Despite the fact that you've transitioned and you passed pretty outstandingly well as a trans man, you. but you could go into, I'm sure, any <laughs> lad's toilet in the country and no one would bat an eyelid. <laughs> you are passionate about maintaining your reality that you're a biological female and woman, yep. but are also a trans man. So yep. why is that important to you? And why is it important for the conversation, in your opinion? Okay, well, number one, trans is biology. So if we're taking biology off the table, then trans doesn't exist. It's the whole reason you are transgender or transsexual, whatever you want to call yourself. It's biology. You are born one way and you feel another way. How, how is biology not attached to that? That's the part that's so upsetting to me. Because if I wasn't born biologically female, I wouldn't be sitting here having a conversation with you. <laughs> I never would have transitioned. Everything would have been a different story. So it's it feels so, on some level, it feels so disrespectful to me that we're even not not you specifically, but that we're having this conversation in the world. Not only is it disrespectful mm -hmm. to me, but it's disrespectful to you, a person who lives in the biological space, not the cisgender space, but the biological space as a, as a man. And so, you know, I say, how can you take biology off the table when it's the actual equate, it's the actual plugin that you need to be a transgender person? So for me, I acknowledge my biology. I will always acknowledge. I have done it from day one when I even started doing pornography. You know, I called myself a man with a vagina and there's a reason for that so i could continue that story as i was born as a woman and i became a man it's real simple so so by trying to take biology out of the equation you're disrespecting my transition but you're also disrespecting my medical space and if we start to say i'm like you then that doesn't make any sense because I'm not like you. And when I go to the doctor, I have to have a whole other space than you do. You're, you're never going to have to go to the gynecologist, my friend. I do. And so do other guys. So if we pretend like we're biological or our biologists doesn't count, where does medicine play into that? So it's very damaging on many levels to start to say that biology is a social construct or biology is not real or we've disproven biology. And the only thing I can think of why anyone in the transgender community would want to take that out is so that they could bring on this new thing called self-ID, which is very damaging to the community. And so that's the only kind of way I try to think, why would you want to take biology off the table? It doesn't make sense to me. Before we move on to the social transition element, Buck, one thing you said to me off air surprised me. You said, transition isn't something I choose to do. It's not a lifestyle. I hate being a transsexual. My <laughs> listeners might be confused by that, given how much of a minefield this conversation is. So why did you why did you say that? Surely yeah. my listeners would probably say, now you transitioned, you should be happy with that, right? That's right. And I am. I'm 100% happy with who I am. But if I have the choice... I would have never done, I would have said, please, God, make me a dude. <laughs> Just let me be born. I don't like being trans. I, I actually don't like it. It's like saying I'm a diabetic. I don't like being a diabetic, but I am. And I have to take insulin mm. and I have to deal with that. On some level, I feel the same way. It's why I don't let these people push this out of a disorder space. I have an actual disorder. I have a mental health disorder. And I hate that they're trying to take that off the table. If I didn't have a disorder, I wouldn't be having these conversations. And I wouldn't be having to live the way I am having to live. This saved my life. 
But if I got the choice, I would never pick this choice. It's why I really think we're doing a disservice to younger generation. We're not saying, calm down here. Let's figure out what's going on. We don't want to just push you through transition because you might change your mind, which they are. Because this isn't a rush to place. This is a very important space that you think about. Of The rest of my life, man, I have to be this person. For the rest of my life, I have to do testosterone. I have to live in this body. I have to be outing myself on some level. And, you know, sometimes it's just not the space I wish I was in. But I am. You know, I just make the best of a thing that I was given. And that's it. You said previously that there's a lack of care when it comes to attaching mental health care to transitioning. And some critics call this process of psychological exploration or gender exploratory talk therapy, whatever the name you want to tell it as, as gatekeeping in a negative way. But you call it safekeeping. So tell the listeners why. Well, because gatekeeping right there, that terminology is so smart and gaslighting. It's it's smart of them. These people in the in the trans community who are activists and trying to create this different type of language and way of being are doing these things to gaslight us, to shut down conversation, to make us feel like we're stupid and we don't understand, or you're transphobic if you don't have the conversation. So that being said, all of those things just really upset me. So there's a dishonesty coming out. There's a dishonesty in the conversation that I won't have any part of. And so I really feel like I just have to be honest about my own transition, which on some level reflects other people's transition that aren't willing to have the conversation. So does that make does that make sense? Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, every transsexual person I've interviewed so far on the podcast, Buck, so that includes you, includes Aaron Kimberly, Debbie, Mars. You've all said the same thing. Post transition, all you wanted to do was blend in with society, not get in anyone's way, live in peace and coexist. So how did you go about that yourself when it comes to socially transitioning and why you and I'm sure all of them are passionate about blending in as opposed to wanting to stand out? That's right. That's right. That's the difference of us older or even people like myself, even younger generation of transsexual. So here's where this comes into play and where a lot of people in the newer part of the community hate that we say we're transsexuals and why they would hate it. I don't know other than the fact that they feel threatened by this particular thing. So so I call myself a transsexual. I'm a transsexual. When I transitioned, I was a transsexual. Today, I'm a transsexual. And what that means is I live in a very binary space. And we used to call it a sex change, right? So what that means is I was born biologically female. I will always be that. But what I needed to do was change the outside to feel and reflect my inside way of being. So now what we call passing, and I choose to do this to look as masculine as possible, maybe a little overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just kind of went there. People must be the me. <laughs> Maybe I just kind of pushed that a little far. But that, that being said, I did, I did, and I do. And it's every day I make an effort to look as masculine as possible so people don't see me as a woman. And that's very important to people like myself and other transsexuals. We go from one binary to the other binary. So from a woman to a man or a man to a woman. And that's how we want the world to see us. And that's why we call ourselves transsexuals because transgender is now an umbrella term that encompasses all these different kinds of things that have no reflection on me whatsoever. It's just mine's simple. Mine is real simple. There's no, I'm not trying to trick you. 
I'm just trying to say, this is how I feel. And I don't trick the world. I walk the world as a man and people respect me as a man, right? Mm. And that's really the space that I dreamed to be in. And here I am. And why I fight for the rights of transsexuals to live in a very passing binary space. It's important for me. Mm. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Buck, is that when it comes to, for example, the gay rights movement, which mm. kind of took off in the 90s, noughties, I don't want to say ended with gay marriage, but sort of reached its zenith, I would say, with gay yeah. marriage and the legalization of it. The advocates in that space, they sought to engage, they educated, they persuaded people about the positives that can come from society when homosexuals are treated better and can flourish, essentially, that, you know, homophobes were spoken to they were won over they weren't shunned and that's the approach that you've tried to take with the trans argument or the trans conversation do you think that we've lost that in recent times when it comes to the i guess element to the trans movement or playing devil's advocate do you think that transphobes are just getting louder and we need to be even louder to fight back <laughs> Great question, my friend. And I'm going to say, number one, <laughs> I'm going to say the trans community has I lost had a feeling its, you would. <laughs> they've lost its way. Now, I get called old. I get called, you know, go sit down over there in the corner, grumpy. We'll take it from here. I'm like, take what from here? <laughs> I've been building this community for 30 plus years. You're not taking anything from me. Number one. Number two, you're not speaking for me. Those people do not speak for me. And that's why I continue. So for me, there is this desire to push against the world that I refuse to be a part of because the world is 99% people like you, right? <laughs> we are like 0.5% of the world. How are we so powerful to think or think we're so powerful to push against the really majority narrative out there? And, and, the, and, and most people are very comfortable living in their biology. And most people are very comfortable walking the world as male and female. And most people just are that. And so for the trans community, it's so insanely hypocritical and so insanely disrespectful that that's why I don't belong to that narrative. I do not believe a lot of stuff that's coming out of there. And I think there's this push to shut voices down and to call people cisgender or turf or transphobic. Those are all manipulative shut down words that don't bring conversation. And as you know, I do speak a lot to, you know, I'm a more liberal sort of person, but I do speak to the, you know, far right. And I do speak to people who hate me. And I do speak to the Christian right who doesn't like me because if I don't have the conversation and they don't meet me, how are they not going to say, well, actually I know a trans person who is this way. And maybe that's going to change. And I know for a fact, I have changed many minds who used to hate people like me. So that's my mm. work. My work is I'm not in that community space. I don't need to be regurgitating constantly on each other. That's just weird behavior. So I'm out in the world with people like you who mm. I want to teach you and I want to educate you so that you aren't transphobic or that you understand that, that you know we're not a monolithic community in any way, shape or form. Mm. Before we move on to your adult film career, Buck, mm -hmm. I just want to ask you one more question here, if we can. So I read an interview you did in the Mail Online where you said, I was a mean, angry lady, and then I became this sensitive, compassionate, empathetic man. Now, I've spoken to a few guests in this space about testosterone and how it can affect females transitioning. And sometimes they can affect them in pretty wild ways. Let's be real. <laughs> Why do you think that changed your outlook so profoundly? Wow, that's a great question. So yes, I was a very mean, angry lady. I was that butch lesbian dyke who hated the world and everyone, you know, and it's hard to be in that space too. I won't deny that. You know, it's hard to be a butch masculine woman that really messes with some people's idea of femininity or whatever that situation is. So I think what happened was 
that's just an actual thing. People always say testosterone makes you angry and makes you mean. And that is not true. I was mean and angry the other way. And once I started putting that testosterone in my body, I actually started to feel level. I have never in my life felt level prior to that. I had felt off. I felt angry, sad, cry. You know, I was like all over the place. My emotions were constantly this. And once I started on the testosterone, I would say in two or three months, I was a different person. Even people were like, holy shit, because I just grounded myself. And I, I felt, I don't know, any other way to put it, except for maybe when you're gay and you finally get to come out of the closet and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to be this person. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. It's a, it's a more, it's freeing more than I can even say or have you understand. It's the most freeing space to be. One part of your life which people don't ask you about, Buck, is your adult film career, which you've worked mm. in for over 22 years. And That's you've already right. spoken a little about the, the label that you gave yourself, which I didn't realize. I thought maybe the industry had given you that, but you gave it to <laughs> <I> yourself. <did>. <laughs> <So> <laughs> what are the stigmas that you've experienced from the outside by working in it? Yeah. Oh, gosh, I still get it. Even though I don't necessarily do pornography anymore. Now I create products. So I create, you know, sexual wellness products like masturbators and dildos and things like that. But those are really important to me, I think, and also important to teach my community how to have self-love for lack of it. But, but that being said, oh, my God, people hate me for it. That They'll always dig it up and they'll find it. And they'll be like, well, what do you think about the porn you do? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's great stuff. And they're like, well, I have a porn addiction. And I'm like, but how is that my fault, dude? He's <laughs> like, well, people like you, I go, wait a minute here. You're an adult. If you can't just not watch porn, how is that my fault? That You might as well blame alcoholism on the alcohol mm. companies. Like, what the hell? But, you know. It's these moral, these hardcore moral religious people who always bring up my porn and always call me a groomer or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you should stop calling me a groomer because that's actually dangerous because now you're not really pointing the real groomers out there and you're taking the mm. focus off of the real groomers and putting them on people like me who are far from a groomer. And so that being said, you know, so when you do porn, you get, it's basically the lowest of a profession besides I think prostitution or whatever that you could ever be in. You're, you're just looked at as scum, as the devil, as all kinds of stuff. So on some level, I think that it's given me a thick skin to fight against these crazy trans people who attack me. But it's like, bitch, I've been in porn. You can't, you cannot knock my feet out just so you know. <laughs> so really I think of it as a means in a way that was preparing me on some level to be in the space I am today. Here's a question that people or maybe other interviewers might feel uncomfortable asking you, Buck. Mm -hmm. What has being an adult film actor or being in the industry done for your mental health, positively wow. and negatively? Oh, excellent question, my friend. So I think I'm an anomaly on some level, though I do know, I mean, I'm friends with tons of people in the sex industry and in the adult you know, film industry. And everyone I know loves it. They love it. They feel empowered. All the women I know, they feel, feel powerful. They feel, I do too. I think it made me grow a lot as a person and as someone who has really been very distanced from my body. So the number one thing it did is it really taught me how to enjoy my body sexually without having to have the penis or having to sort of be this sort of man. And so that was very powerful. I don't care what anyone ever says to me about anything. The one number one thing that pornography did for me and also for other people because I get emails from them is that we learn to accept our bodies and we learn to know our bodies are sexy like everybody else's and that we can have sex. You know, I'm a huge advocate about for sex. And I think the trans community is very anti-sex. 
and mm. it, and desexualizes us because they call it fet- like I fetishize trans men. And I'm like, well, first off, what's wrong with fetishizing? Nothing. I don't believe it is at all, especially between two consenting adults. I don't mind being fetishized at all. I think it's pretty hot and awesome. So the fact that these people shut down conversation by calling it fetishization or that, you know, if you don't date a trans person, you're transphobic, all this other weird nonsensical stuff. I'm saying, wait a minute, I'm celebrating my body. If you want to celebrate it with me, right on. And if you don't, I don't care either. And that's been very powerful on many levels. It's helped other people understand that they're attracted to people like me, you know, people who've never wanted to have sex with a trans man before. So I think on mm. many levels, I opened this sort of space that had never really been opened up before. Mm. Flame One Rose talked a lot about that in her comedy sketches about people when she transitioned, males being attracted to her, but sort of keeping it secret. There's a really yeah. funny bit she does, she's done online, which is <laughs> great for that. <laughs> it's awesome. Right on. Way to go. <laughs> I want to reflect on your mental health journey now, Buck. So A, what has transitioning taught you about yourself? And B, if you could go back and talk to the Buck who was experiencing gender dysphoria for the first time or was being admitted to the psychiatric hospital or the Buck who was about to transition or the Buck who was about to enter the adult film industry, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? Well, first off, you know, transitioning saved my life. I always say that. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. And, you know, I do say I wish I wasn't born trans, but I am. And, you know, I I dealt with it and I fixed I fixed it on some level. I really do feel that way. I feel like I really fixed my problem by doing what I needed to do for myself, not for you, not for that person. And that's another huge part of my message in transition. Are you doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it because your buddies are doing it? And it's like this really kind of cool thing to do, which is what I see. And I know because I talk to a lot of young kids, especially detransitioners. So that being said, for me, it 100% changed my life. For the, I would not be here. I would not be here. 100% I would be dead. So that's that. So number two, if I had the opportunity to be this guy now and turn around and look back at Mora or, you know, the younger Buck, I mean, I just really on some level feel that my journey is my journey. And I don't know if I would change anything. I mean, of course, you're like, I want to change all the struggling I had in high school. I want to change all the shyness I had around people. I want to change the fact that, you know, I couldn't date people because I just wasn't comfortable in my body. But as I stand here today, and I think back on that, I do think on some level, it made me this guy. And, you know, it's a hard space to be in because, of course, you want your childhood to be happy and that and that. But is that even a real thing? I don't know if that's even possible because if it wasn't for the trans stuff, it might have been something else, right? I might have had some other struggle. So I really do believe struggle is important on some level. And I do think when we say, well, we don't want trans kids to struggle or we don't want youth, that's really actually dangerous because a struggle is a means in a way to understand what you have as a gift and it's not that i want people to struggle in a means in a way to be cutting themselves or to be suicidal no 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 no. i want people to understand this journey as a journey and not as something that you are entitled to have because none Mm -hmm. of us are entitled to anything i think doing the work and understanding and not pushing through so quick is reason that i again stand here because I did not do it quickly. I did suffer on some level. I did go through all the normal things that normal kids go through. Why should trans kids stand over here and other kids, all kids go through turmoil. (laughs) All kids go through puberty. All kids go through all kinds of stuff. And I think that's what makes you a good person or a bad person or a person who understands struggle. And so again, you know, of course, in a magical world, I would have just been born a man and none of this would be here, but I wasn't. And the struggle did get me here. And it's something that I know a younger generation doesn't understand because they're just in the struggle right now. 
But I do believe struggle creates a stronger human and it will actually make your transition even that much more powerful. We've talked about your own journey, Buck. I want to talk about the work you do as a commentator, advocate in the YouTube and podcast space, and of course, as Trampar. So firstly, how and why did this journey begin? Well, you know, I made it. I made it to this space as a 50. I'll be 60 years old this year, transitioning 29 years ago. I mean, I'm really in such a unique space in the newer trans community. And so, you know, I think because I see things in different way of being and because I'm an elder in a community, I just feel like now is the time for me to start to really have conversations that don't reflect a lot of the community. I think my voice is in a different space than the majority of the, the talk. So now that's where I'm at. I'm in this space where I believe that I have on some level earned a space to discuss things in a different way than what you are hearing. And it's important, I think, that we have different sides of the conversation. So that's really why they call me Trampa on some level is that, you know, I'm an elder and a guy who's been around for a long time and did do a lot of work to build the trans male space. When we talked about the issues you wanted to focus on in this section, Buck, the first was children with gender dysphoria and yeah. children or teenagers wanting to transition. Yeah. Tell me your perspective on this first. You know, it's such a heated, debated space, but, you know, as a transsexual man and as a guy that this saved my life, I just believe that we're rushing into that on such a level. Now, and I will never say that there are not trans kids. I don't even like to call them that. I, I feel like you're just mm. labeling them out the gate. And I, I call them dysphoric kids. And so yes. dysphoric yeah. kids are just, just a thing. It's a real thing. I was a dysphoric kid, but I possibly could have grown out of it. There are young women who write me all the time in their 30s and 40s and say, Buck, I was a totally child like you and I grew out of it. So these are women who tell me this all the time. And so I really feel like we're rushing this idea that if we don't transition children when they say they're trans, we're doing a disservice to trans kids and we're killing trans kids. All of this language is so insane. Mm. We are killing trans kids when we give them medication without any mental health care. And that's what's happening. So your kid says they're trans and they're eight years old and you're just going to slap fucking stuff on them is insane. I'll be the first one to tell you that is insane because you're not having the conversation and letting that kid figure. My parents socially transitioned me. For people that don't really understand, that means my parents dressed me like a boy, called me Buck, let me move through the world as Buck. It was always super cool. That, on some level, is a social transition. They even told me, we would have never given you drugs. My 80-year-old parents are like, <laughs> who are so cool. They're like, what? I'm like, mom, they're like actually giving these, they're like, wow. My, my parents are just blown away, even though they were actually super respectful of my space. That being said, I just do not believe there's enough information, number one. Number two, two countries out there have shut that down, right? Sweden and I think Finland are... are is yeah, it, Finland yeah, is the other one, yeah. I think, yeah. So so they shut it down after years of studies, more than any study we have in the United States, right? Doesn't that say something to you? Number three, why are we using an off-label that is not made for transgender kids. That is made for other things. And, and and since when in this country can you give Lupron to kids who are gender dysphoric without even understanding the long-term use? And then they're like, "There's." I just read an article in Vice Magazine about, well, no one argues it when they give puberty blockers to cisgender kids. I'm like, that's because they actually have a diagnosis <laughs> of precocious puberty. and They're just trying to chill that out right there. They're not trying to change the child. They're just no. trying to, right? I mean, I don't have that kind of conversation with you. But so, so that being said, 
that's why I'm very outspoken about transitioning children in a medical space. I, I do not believe mm -hmm. it. I do not believe we're doing a service to these kids. And now I'm looking at detransition numbers. And I mean, they all plug into each other. Yeah. Uh, and for me, Buck, so for gender dysphoric males and females, one long-term consequence, I think of most of these processes is sterilization. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you got a double mastectomy as a woman, you can't breastfeed any potential children you may have. Now you can ha still have children, but it That's makes right. it a lot more difficult to naturally kind of breastfeed your child because you can't. If you remove your womb, you can no longer conceive naturally. Likewise, if you're a male, if you get chemically castrated or your testicles removed, it's called an oreectomy, I believe, or your penis inverted to an e-vagina, this is also sterilization by proxy because you're right. no longer capable of getting someone pregnant. Right. So my question to you is, do these children or teenagers know the reality of these surgeries before they do this? <laughs> and then surely these surgeries are irreversible. So why do people say they're not? <laughs> gaslighting <laughs> remember <laughs> i told you they love to gaslight it's an actual real thing what are you talking about trans women can get pregnant i'm like wait a minute now you guys are going way overboard oh trans women get uterus implants and become pregnant i go in what world do you guys live in and when you start spreading that kind of misinformation that's what's taking us out dude that's exactly what's taking mm -hmm. us out because they are lying to the world. They are lying to the world. And the world's like, wait a minute, you fucking wingnut. That is not true. Yet trans women are like, you're transphobic. If you don't believe a trans woman can get pregnant, you're transphobic. So I don't know what's going on here, my friend. And I, I just, I'm so blown away by this idea that we can make shit up in the name of transgender healthcare. And that is why I sit here with you today, because I will, again, I'm speaking my own truth, number one, but I'm actually using factual information here. And so I think I, I think I lost track of the actual question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't worry. It was a long question. It's one of my I longest off. ones. I had, to make sure, I had to make sure I was accurate in what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like immediately when you, as a person who's not trans, say something about the trans community, you're immediately st stabbed as a turf or transphobic. That's why I'm in such a very powerful space because they can call me a turf, they can call me transphobic, but it won't stick. It will not stick on me because I am actually a transsexual person who transitioned pretty much more than half, more than half of the people out there speaking. So I am mm. really grounded in my space. And I'm also, anyone who knows me knows I'm a factual being. And I would never say anything that didn't reflect a factual space because I don't need mm. to. I don't need to push this idea to transition children. I'll tell you what, I would rather have the children not transition and become a happy person that doesn't have to be medicalized for the rest of their life. That's where I stand. And it's not that, again, transitioning didn't save my life. It did. But if I had the opportunity to tell a kid, hey, wait a minute here, is this really what you want to do? Let's try these all different kinds of ways. That's where I stand. Like, I don't want the kid to have to be doing what I do for the rest of my life. It's, it's not a great space to be in. You spoke there about the toxicity in this conversation, Buck, and yeah. we've made, I feel, so many great strides, even since the days of Will and Grace was on. Yeah. Are we now in danger of making the term transphobic meaningless to the point where genuine transphobic abuse is missed? Yes, yes, I'm going to say yes. If they are calling me, me, transphobic, we've lost it. 
We've actually yeah. lost, they call many of us transsexual people transphobic. If they're calling us transphobic, we've lost it. That's it. That's how, how it's going to be. It's like, you know, calling a gay man homophobic. Like, come on, man. You know, because he disagrees with certain types of ways of being in the, in the gay world. It's such a weird thing to do to your own community. And it's a very obvious space of trying to push voices out that you don't want to be. And again, what, why I think there's this really culty aspect to this trans new arena that's happening. It's very culty and very agenda-like. Another opinion of yours my listeners may be surprised to learn, Buck, is that you are against the idea of asking for pronouns. So yeah. why do you as a transsexual find it insulting when someone asks you what their pronouns are? Or Look what your pronouns me. are, sorry. <laughs> because I'll tell you why. <laughs> because for me, and this is again my story, if you have to ask me my pronouns, then my sex change sucked, dude. <laughs> then I did not do my job. <laughs> then I did not become the man I want to be. That's why I find it insulting because I work hard to look this way, right? I like a lot of energy. I put a lot of time of looking very masculine and it's because I don't want you to have to tell you my pronouns. If I have to tell you my pronouns, it means that you don't see me as a man. I don't care if you want to use your pronouns. You go right the fuck ahead, my friend, but don't you dare force that nonsense on me or anyone else in the world. So that's why I say it, because I don't like the forcingness of the fact that we all have to bow down to this 0.5% of a population, maybe even smaller than that, that says, if you don't use my pronouns, you're violence. That's violence. Like, oh. I mean, it's just gotten so insane. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be violent now and I'm not going to do your pronouns. So get over yourself. Like that's what I, going back to this tough love and the space of growing up where I had to struggle a little. We are not letting people struggle and we are giving them this false sense of security. And then when they go out into the real world and someone calls them she and they crumble under that, what do you think that's going to do for them? It's going to do nothing mm -hmm. for them. It's not going to help them walk the world. People still misgender me, my friend. They do it on purpose. You're like, you're still a woman. You'll always be a woman. Do you know what I say? Good. Right on. Awesome. Doesn't hurt me. How can that mm -hmm. not hurt me? But why is it hurting these young kids? And so on some level, I'm just like, this is not the way you teach people to walk the world by handing them everything they need so that everything is so soft and simple. And then when they hit that slope where the rock goes out from underneath them and they slide down <laughs> and no one's there to save them, I'm the guy who's going to climb right the back up. But are they going to do that? No, they're not. They're going to mm. lay at the bottom of that hill crying because somebody misgendered them, which is so insane to me. And it's just not real world. And I refuse to be part of teaching kids bad behavior like that so do you think a part of this is where the mainstream or most people's natural inclination for empathy or mm. openness or inclusion mm. is meeting a barrier of actually just challenging illusion or challenging being coddled what would you define yeah, it as it's difficult you know and, and if i was a if i was someone in the in the mental health field or the psychoanalyst or something i would really study this because it really sh it's shocking to me how it, we've become so complacent on some level when this community tells you you have to do pronouns and you know that non-binary is trans and that biology doesn't exist and you don't need dysphoria to be trans all of these oh. insane i mean that one really killed that is so insane insulting to me. I have gender dysphoria. Yeah. Okay. I have it. I've been diagnosed with it as a real thing and it's hurtful. Again, why are they allowed to hurt people like me who've really worked hard to be in this space? Yet if I say or misgender someone, I'm the devil. You see the hypocrisy in it mm. all. So on, on some level, I just feel like there's such a hard push from the trans community to sort of 
tell everyone how to be and what they're not going to, it's never going to happen. People are pushing back now and, but people don't push back on me. And that's what I want the world to see. Why? Because we have a discussion here. When I leave this space, I don't expect you to love me and think, oh, damn, but that, now I get it. All trans people. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to show a difference in the way of being and that there are trans people like us who just want to move through the world and it saved my life. And I don't, I don't push surgery and in fact, try to talk people out of it. And I don't push this idea of being trans is beautiful. I've always hated that hashtag trans is beautiful. It feels so like indoctrination on some level. It's not beautiful. It's mm. hard work. And it actually is, it's a struggle on some days to, you know, get up and put testosterone in your ass and go to the gym and, you know, create this persona of a being let's reflect on your journey now buck so most of my audience in i guess in the online space would you would call them normies they're not (laughs) as well versed in this conversation as perhaps you or i Mm -hmm. so what do you think or at its most extreme what do you fear will happen when the wider public become educated themselves about what is happening in the trans space right now Uh, that will make me cry so what's happening now is we're having all these legislative bills pass in many states that are now taking away all of our rights. So that is Texas what I is saw. One, yeah. That's yeah. right. And that's what I saw coming. It's not just going to, you know, now I'm going to be affected by this because now they're going to take all rights off the table. Any, no testosterone, no surgeries, no nothing. You could have turned people in if you, you know, like, and I saw it, my friend, because there was never any nuance in the conversation. It was always like, trans kids are kids. They deserve better. Give them puberty blockers. That freaks people out. No shit, it freaks people out. We're dealing with children now, okay? We're not dealing with an adult who can make a choice. And as an adult, if you want to cut your tits off and move forward and look like a dude, you go right ahead. You are an adult. You're making that choice. Mm -hmm. But can a child actually consent to something that they do not understand the outcome? Think about it. Can a child consent to something that they actually do not know the outcome. I'm gonna say no. Doing this journey as Trampa for as long as you have then, Buck, what has it taught you about yourself? Wow, so that I'm a badass. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) You know, I had to learn to be a badass and I had to learn to say, wait a minute here, I gotta stand up for my rights because I had done it for so long. I stood up for my rights as a pornographer. You know, I stood up for my rights as a gay woman. I stood up for my rights for HIV and AIDS and I helped fight that battle back 30, 40 years ago. I have always been a fighter and I've always been somebody who believes in the truth and also a human rights activist. But what I see, and then here comes this new trend ideology and I don't fit in there and I don't have anything to do it's a very weird space for me to be in these days you know because this did again I'll say it a hundred million times it saved my life but what's happening today is something so ideological and has nothing to do with being trans it has zero to do with being trans it has some kind of control mechanism and as an older person again who this I see it and so I see the backlash coming tenfold because people see what I see, which is some scary shit. You know, when you start transitioning kids with no understanding of, that's very, very, very experimental. So you're not going to use my kid to experiment on, okay? I was an experiment 29 years ago. We should not be experimenting on kids. And if they shut down those things in two other countries, why is America not shutting that down? And why are we moving full force into this space? Doesn't that make you wonder i mean is it a monetary space partly i do think that are we being monetized Mm -hmm. are we being used in a means in a way to build an industry that's creepy 
That is so insanely creepy, but I don't know. My eyes kind of see some of this stuff. Our final topic of conversation, Buck, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is a general natter and chat about mental health. So firstly, at time of recording, like we said at the beginning of this pod, the circumstances in the world are very, very weird with Ukraine and Russia. But how would you say your mental health is at the moment? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thank you for that question. So I'm a huge believer of mental health care and I take care of myself. So, you know, I do a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga and I have a therapist. So my mental health, I'd say in the year prior to this beginning of this year, I I felt a little depressed. I did. I went into a little depression. You know, I I think it's inevitable being at the house all the time with my whole family. And, you know, I usually travel the world. That's my business. And, you know, I just, I'm around people all the time and I'm a people person. So my mental health did go down a little bit. And then, you know, I got stuck on the internet arguing with fucking trans crazy people. And then that just spiraled out and got me into this weird space. I had to actually delete the Twitter app from my phone. I really did see my mental health going insane from being Mm. on Twitter. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm bigger than this. And I'm better than this. This is a goddamn app. Am I losing my mind? So that being said, I think because of the many years I've had of mental health care, I can pinpoint when I'm feeling a certain way or when I'm not. And I'm very, 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 very big on making sure my mind is always solid before my body and everything else, that my mind is solid. So so Mm. thanks for asking. But today I feel amazing and I feel like I'm coming out of that depression space. Excellent. What age do you think you were when you first became self-aware of your mental health and that you realized that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? Oh, that's a great question. I would say 25. And I have that number there because that's when I first started to see the actual therapist. And I had seen therapists before that, but I wasn't connected to them. And I think because they were pushing against me, right? They were always just like, well, you're a woman. Well, you're a very butch woman. Well, you're going to have to accept it. You're never, you're never going to be anything but a woman. And so when I finally saw this therapist and she was so just so easy to talk to and she just so, that's when I knew, oh my God, like mental health is everything. It really, it really changed my life. That therapist, she, she saved my, I always, I give her, she saved my life because she acknowledged my space. We didn't have the words for it. She didn't have the word trans, they used transsexual back then, but nowhere to help us. We didn't have any space to go to, but she was willing to have the conversation. That's when I changed my mind about therapy and mental health. And I realized that this is where I need to be in order to get to that next level. It was magic. It's 100% magic. Mm. What things do you have that trigger your mental health in your life? So it could be a sound, mm. it could be a sensation, it could mm. be Twitter, like you said, <laughs> or, have you not, or have you not figured all of them out yet? Oh no, I'm sure there's many, many more. <laughs> you got a name them all. You know, a smell. Smells are, I have this really crazy sense of smell that's so hypersensitive. And, you know, I know it totally comes from childhood stuff. And I had trauma in my childhood. I didn't have like a perfect childhood. I had trauma and all kinds of weird shit happened to me for sure. But I don't hold on to it. And I've been very lucky to learn how to sort of navigate through all the different types of PTSD and things I have throughout many years. I mean, we could do a whole nother show of my life and where I come from and being homeless and crack addicted and prostitution and all of that insanity that I live through and I'm here. But that being said, smells really trigger anger. So if I smell things like very, very, very like 
perfumey, like women's perfume that's very sweet. It triggers me. I immediately go into some crazy anger space. I've learned how to navigate that. And so when I meet people, I'm just like, please don't wear perfume. <laughs> like it actually, I, I actually know that I can't handle the smell. I can handle the smell of mm. cologne. I can handle, it's some kind of woman's perfume that always puts me in this weird space and also when i'm tired i know if i'm overly tired i'm gonna totally not be work not be good so, and i have insomnia so i really work on those types of you know i hate that trigger word but you know those things that mm. sort of give me the space in my mental health where i don't feel and also you know my my surroundings my surroundings are very important to me and i that's another thing i learned my surrounding has to be a very specific way for me to feel I'm working and I'm doing things and I'm processing good stuff for the for the world. Mm. And I do think that really comes to understanding who you are. Conversely, then, what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health mm. or help you feel better? Which ones have worked yep. and maybe which ones that you've tried but mm. haven't? So right now, I'm actually, I'm really big into plant medicine. That being said, I, I'm sober from drugs and alcohol, but I started in the cannabis business because cannabis changed my life around my insomnia. So, and I don't like drugs or sleeping pills or all that. So I tried cannabis and that changed my life. And from there, I started using uh, cybacillin which are mushrooms, right? And so cybacillin, I had started to microdose on that, which took me out of the depression also that I was in. It literally changed my whole way of being. And I'm like, what? So I experiment with plant medicine a lot and try to see how that can, you know, again, because I'm so healthy and I work out, I eat right, I do all the things as a 60 year old man that I really want to show the world that, you know, I think health, physical health is just as important as mental health. I really do that. I exercise. I really try to pinpoint when something's wrong. Do I need to go to my therapist? Because that could be a part, or do I just need to do yoga, which sometimes also really helps me and a meditative space. And I really learn how to sort of just stop doing what I'm doing, put on one of my meditative apps and give myself 20 minutes to sort of on some level reset. So I, I've learned how to sort of reset myself. And that again, I think that all comes from life experience and skill of being more compassionate to your own self and your own being. What is the best book, or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it could be mental health related, but it doesn't exclusively have to be. I had one here that I was reading. What was it? It wasn't mental health. Oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it right now. Dang it! I'm always don't worry, looking, don't worry. I'm always looking for <laughs> cool. I, I read all kinds of stuff, and I'm again, I'm about meditation and about mental. I'm about really understanding why do certain things trigger me or how to be calm because I'm not such a calm person. I'm a very have a lot of energy and I'm very <laughs> hyper. <laughs> so I learned try to calm. So right now I'm reading a book. I can't remember. Dang it! But it actually is teaching me how to sort of calm myself down and not be so hyper focused and also not to take things on i get mm. attacked a lot i'm sure you know that so i really learned how to not take the other people's attacks as as really a personal space and understand that person mm. over there is hurting that person is using me as a means and a way to make themselves feel better and as a final question buck and this is a very broad one so you can answer it however way you want what more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues mm. or just their general mental health if they want to do it. Yes, thank you for. We need to destigmatize it, <laughs> and I say it all the time. Same with pornography. We need to destigmatize it. It's not the fault of everything in the world, and also there's this stigma about mental health that really upsets me. And I see it largely in the trans community, as you said earlier. They call it gatekeeping. 
you know, and they do that for, it is far from gatekeeping. So I think what we need to do is have these conversations and we need to have people who say, look, mental health saved my life. And I, it's a positive, beautiful, it's like you go to the gym, like, how is that <laughs> not the same as going to the gym for your brain? It's the, it's the same thing, but there's just been this weird pushback on mental health and more than ever that I've seen in the, in the trans community. And I just mm. think it's doing a disservice to trans people, to LGBTQ people, and to people in general. I think everyone should be in therapy. And I think everyone should understand it's a beautiful, amazing space to be in. It's not a negative space. It means you give a shit about yourself. That's what it means to me. It means you care enough about your own being to want to move through the world in a much happier, more grounded space. Buck Angel, it has been the privilege of my life, definitely, to <laughs> interview you on the Just Checking In podcast. Thank you so much for talking to me. Right on. No, thank you for bringing me on. It means a lot to me. So you have a beautiful day, my friend. Well, that is all we've got time for in this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a massive thank you to the legend that is Buck Angel for being my special guest on this very, very special episode and for checking in with me. I'll put some links to where you can follow Buck on social media, find out more about his work and collaborate with him in the show notes. As always, I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who've tuned into this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, write us a review or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing at Vent and want to support us further, consider supporting our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can visit our GoFundMe to make a one-off donation. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent.